0: Last week, uh, Dave Child preached, and remember, he, um, he had words of knowledge, is what you call it, where he just knew things, and he had that number, 3074, and then it turned out to be someone's business, and it's actually a, a pretty uh, big business around the country, and then, you know, and uh, anyway, I, I had a similar experience. I spoke to a bunch of pastors um, in Pinelands on Thursday morning, and um, I'd heard people come from all over Cape Town and these two guys came, uh, came in and I thought, oh, these guys must be coming from the local uh, township. And um, their names were Leroy and Jonas. I said hi to them. I had no idea that they were actually walk-ins. So I don't know, I thought these guys were pastors. And busy worshiping and suddenly the worship leader, one, one of the people in the worship just says, there's two men have just walked in here and she has words of knowledge, she says, the one of you is so distressed because your daughter's meant to go to school today, but she's sick at home, and now you're quite worried about it? The other one, you're here and you're thinking, I don't even believe in this stuff, what am I doing here? But God wants you to know that if you just sit down with him, he'll make himself real to you. So I'm like, yo, <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a lot of courage. So then the other guy takes the mic and he says, hey, um, now there's only two guys that have walked in, you know, at the back, and... Um, and then he says, uh, the other guy says, is there anyone like that? You just put up your hands. And those two guys put up their hands. And then they get prayed for. And then we ask them, so what are you doing here? And I don't know if you, if you live in Pines, you know, the O'Mulan horse and cart guys? They're going past this church. They have singing, climb out their horse and cart, climb into the building. And then we see them go off in the horse and cart. We all wave. Like <laughs> It's just such a lovely experience. And uh, 1 Corinthians 12 says that these gifts of prophecy and words of knowledge and healing are manifestations of the Spirit. They're ways that you can see, oh, wow, the Holy Spirit is in the room. Manifestations of the Spirit. So I'm speaking on identity in Christ today. We're going through Ephesians 1, just a little bit at a time, and we come to these verses about the Holy Spirit. So the next aspect of your identity in Christ, if you become a Christian, is that you have the Spirit. I have the Spirit. So let me just start off by this story. Acts chapter 19, the year is, I think it's eighty fifty-five. 55 about. Paul took the road, he's the apostle, through the interior, and he arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. He asked them, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. So if you haven't read the Bible before, the Gospels, before Jesus came, John the Baptist, his cousin, had a ministry. And John the Baptist would baptize people saying, get ready, the Messiah is about to arrive. And he was pointing to Jesus. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And next week, uh, lots of people getting baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus because they believe in Jesus. When Paul placed his so they no, they come up the water, they you know they glistening. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They have this overwhelming experience of the Spirit's presence and power, and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. They these gifts. Not only do they experience the Spirit's presence and power, these. Supernatural gifts come to them, and there were about 12 men in all. It's a beautiful story. Now, this happened in the beginning of the Ephesians church. Ten years later, Paul writes to the Ephesian church, and listen to what he says. He says this, when you believed, so picture it, the people in this church are reading this letter, the 12 men are there listening to this. Ten years later, probably, I mean, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. He's reminding them of how when they believed they were mocked, the Spirit came and lived inside of them. They had a powerful experience of the Spirit to introduce them to the Christian life. The Christian life is a supernatural life. It's possible... For a church to only emphasize the Word of God and underemphasize the spirit of God. And in signal we try to give due emphasis to both. So now I've got three points for you based on that verse. Firstly, I am sealed by the Spirit. If you trust in Jesus like these 12 guys did, then you can look yourself in the mirror and you say, "I am sealed." By the Spirit. That's my first point. It says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So Paul is referring back to how the Holy Spirit came and lived inside of them. Also, their introduction, which is very experiential to the Holy Spirit. And there's this idea of being marked in uh, Jesus with a seal, Okay, so I wanna just speak about that firstly. You see, in the ancient Roman world, you know, they would send these scrolls. One king would send a scroll out or there would be a legal document or there would be a container sent from one place to another. And what they would do is they would put a seal on it. They would use wax, they would use clay. Sometimes seals could be made of you know, gemstones or wood or ivory or metal. and uh, And then there were also markings of religious people, all these different, uh, these, these gods that were worshipped. And if you were devoted to this God, you would tattoo that God's name on your body to show that you belong to that God. And those tattoos were also called seals that, that marked the body. And then in terms of livestock, you know, you've got livestock. How do you know which is yours? Well, you would brand, you would mark them with a the seal so that you knew which sheep uh, belonged to whom. So in the ancient world, what did these seals mean? Well, a bunch of things. Firstly, a seal spoke of authority. They verified that an article was genuine. And when the Holy Spirit marks you, he imprints the presence of Jesus in your life. Your salvation is the real deal. For these guys who who got baptized in the name of Jesus, came out the Spirit of God, came upon them, they knew this was the real deal. This was not just another made-up religion. Something was happening. It was unbelievable. This was real. Secondly, a seal indicated authority. You know, um, kings or, 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 or top officials would have a signet ring, and they would push that into the, the wax. It was like a signature. They didn't sign documents like we do now. They, they, they'd use the signet ring. So these documents were backed by the full authority of the king's power and wealth you've been signed, you've been, you're under authority, you've been authorized. Thirdly, a seal implied a future opening. You know, if there's a container that's sealed or a, or a scroll that's sealed, the seal says, um, this is going to be opened. This is going to be opened. That's why Paul later speaks about the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, it's pointing to something. It's like, this is just the beginning. The best is yet to come. And then fourthly, a seal spoke of ownership. Ownership, it designated whose property the thing is, who it belongs to. There's an interesting verse in Revelation 7 verse 3. It's a strange biblical prophecy that tells of the servants of God having a seal, a mark on their forehead to show whose they are. Christians may debate whether it's okay to get a tattoo, okay, tattoos, I'm looking at Tess's tattoo right now, I'm looking at Luke's tattoos, well there is a verse by the way in Leviticus that says, don't mark your body, I don't know if you read that verse Tess, (laughs) Leviticus 19, and, and, and some Christians are pretty sure, now this is the verse. But if you read the verse straight afterwards, it says you mustn't also trim your beard. And you realize this actually, it's quite a peculiar list of instructions. And, and besides, we're not under the law of Moses. So probably those are not the right verses. But when someone asks me, is it okay to get a tattoo? I, I, and they're Christian. The first thing I say is, I, did you know you've already got one? See, when you become a Christian and you receive the Spirit, you are tattooed by the Spirit to show whose you are, to show whose you are. You're marked with a seal, God's sign of ownership, his signature, the inmost being of every Christ follower. And then finally, a seal denoted protection. No no matter how rough the passage, a carrier of a sealed letter would guard that letter with his life if it had the seal of a king on it. And no matter what tests and battles and sufferings come upon us, you are secure. Who can break the seal of God? Nothing. And who can undo, sorry, what can break the seal of God? Nothing. And who can undo what the Holy Spirit does? No one. 2 Corinthians 1 says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ, he anointed us by his Spirit, set his seal of ownership on us and put his Spirit in our hearts so that we may stand firm in Christ. So this idea of being sealed when you actually unpack it, it's, it's quite exquisite. You've been marked, sealed with the Holy Spirit. I am sealed with the Spirit as part of your identity in Christ. So I'm ready for my next point. The First one is I'm sealed uh, by the Spirit. The second one, is I am guaranteed a future, I'm guaranteed a future. I am a natural future person. There's something called strength finders, 34 strengths. And one of my top five strengths is futurist. The words like, if, if I if, if I'm just get in a relaxed space, my mind goes to the future. I get excited about my life now because of the future. It's amazing how much energy you can get now if the future burns bright. Not everybody's the same. A lot of people are not that interested about the future. They're interested in the essence, the moment. I, I get it. But, uh, but this idea of a future, a future. When you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, listen to this, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So in Ephesians 1, we've been going through these different aspects of identity in Christ. Some of these aspects of identity focus on the past, like uh, the one we did a couple weeks ago, we receive redemption by His blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's, that's something in the past. Other aspects home in on the present, like I am blessed, or I'm loved in the beloved. Even I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. These are These are present aspects. But but some of our aspects of identity in Christ look to the future. And, and this is the one. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our future with God. And it, it says the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing. The, the Greek word for deposit is the Greek word arabon. And uh, it's a word that's used in ancient Greek literature of, it's a technical term for the first sum of payment the first sum of money paid in advance to validate a, a legal contract or to purchase an article or land. The, the, by the way, the deposit was not returnable. It spoke of absolute commitment. So nowadays, you know, you, when you get your kid in the school, you've got to put some money up front, non-refundable, you just to try to get. Guy knows about this eh, when he came to Cape Town. Um, real estate, which you've got to put something up front to show that you're committed, to show that you're in. Many investments nowadays, you've got to put a lump sum, a down payment. So, so we're familiar with the idea. Well, it, that idea has been around forever. So, the Greek word for deposit is Arabon and it and it's sometimes translated down payment, pledge, first instalment. The theologian Peter O'Brien comments. He says the spirit comments. He says the spirit received is the first instalment and guarantee of the inheritance in the age to come that awaits God's sons and daughters. So when you experience the Spirit, not only is it awesome in the moment, I mean, the Spirit knows how to throw a party. Yeah. He knows how to throw a party. But it's it carries a sense of guarantee. The, the next time Paul uses the same idea that the Spirit is a is a deposit, he says this in 2 Corinthians 5, He speaks about how the Spirit is surety that one day our mortal bodies will be swallowed up, not by death, but by life. Because that is the metaphor used by poets, the ancient poets. Death is being swallowed up by death. You're living your life, well, I'm sorry, at the end of this, you get swallowed up by death. Well, Paul does something fascinating in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, if you have the Spirit, one day you will be swallowed up by life is pretty cool if your years are ticking on. My twins turned nine uh, this week, and I, we drove them to Grand West on a Friday afternoon. What on earth were we thinking to go play a laser tag? Also introduce them to gambling. <laughs> no, I'm joking. We didn't do that. And, <laughs> and, but um, I get to drive these kids. They want to know how old I am. And I, I kind of still think of myself as fairly young, because I still surf. It's like, I still surf. I mean, I've been surfing since I was 16. I still surf. But these guys looked at the little lines around my eyes. I might as well have been 187 in the eyes of these nine year old girls. They could not see me as, as young. In fact, actually, this week it was so cute. Sam, just before he goes to bed, he's, he's, he he's wants to give his parting speech to everyone as an eight year old. So he calls everyone in to his room in our family and he knows the meaning of our names and he. And, and he shows how our names capture the essence of our lives. So he says to, to Ivy, you know, Ivy, your name means evergreen, and, and nothing gets you down, and you just bring freshness. He calls in Eli. Eli, your name means light, and even though you're in a dark place, high school, uh, you know, your light shines. He calls me in. You know, Terran means earth, and I help people find a pathway on the earth and he calls Julian. her name means young one, and he looks at her. And he says, I can see why your parents, Joy and Keith sitting there, gave you that name when you were born. But it makes no sense now. He had nothing to give to Julie. <laughs> I'm speaking lightly of the fact that, flip man, we're getting older, time is ticking on. You know, and and our bodies are going to die. And it's a pretty bleak thing. We're swallowed by death. Well, if you have the Spirit, even though your bodies are aging and death's door comes closer, because of the guarantee of the Spirit, you have nothing to fear and you've got everything to look forward to. Because you will be swallowed up by life. See, the kingdom of God comes upon us in two stages. I mean, the second stage is when Jesus returns and engulfs this fallen world in his presence and purges out all of the poverty and the injustice and the war and the death and the decay. And he brings in an age marked by harmony and peace and creativity and joy and life. That comes then. But fascinatingly, it's one of the big themes, by the way, of the New Testament. When Jesus came and when the Spirit was poured out it's like that future world broke out in part in this world. It's not fully here, but it's, it's here. And when we gather in the presence of Jesus and the Spirit of God comes upon us, sometimes it feels like you can close your eyes and if you open your eyes, you think you're gonna be in heaven. And there, there's a reason for that. You are having a taste of the future. The, the life that's coming is already... You're experiencing it. The Apostle Paul says, though outwardly I am wasting away, yet inwardly I'm being renewed every day by the spirits. A little child wakes up way too early and doesn't know if they're in the middle of the night. So they're lying there. And then there's the tweeting of the birds and that little ray of light coming into their room. They're like, ah, the morning will come. It's almost here. The Spirit of God is like like the tweeting of the birds. It's like the first glimpse of dawn. When Jesus comes back, the sun rises in full blazing glory for all to see. But already now, we're those that have got the shaft of light upon us. The kingdom is dawning upon us in part, not in full. The bride anticipates a wedding. But my goodness, they've put a date far away for this. And she's lying there and she's wondering if the guy's gonna follow through with this. And then she looks down at her engagement ring and it cost a fortune. She's like, this guy's committed. (laughs) It's coming. The Bible speaks about the wedding feast coming in the future. Will it ever come? Well, you got a wedding ring called the Holy Spirit. The deposit guaranteeing the inheritance that's to come. So I am sealed with the Spirit. That's the first thing that we need to know if you're in Christ. And secondly, I'm guaranteed a future. I'm guaranteed a future. You've, 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 you've had a taste of what's to come. Flip the world is bleak. Bad stuff's happening. People are divided and they hate each other and they're hating, hating each other and being hated. Seems like chaos. Chaos. Where do you get your hope from you get it from the future the <laughs> you, person who naughtily has got to the last page ah oh, yes I can drag myself through all of the tragedies in the story because there's a happily ever after at the end of the story I'm guaranteed a future and then thirdly I am promised the spirit I am promised the spirit not only am I sealed by the spirit and I'm guaranteed a future. Thirdly, I'm promised the Spirit. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. But notice, the promised Holy Spirit, not just the Holy, the Holy Spirit. Paul speaks about the promised Holy Spirit. So, so then you ask yourself, who promised the Spirit? And, and what exactly was promised? So of course, you've got to go back in the Bible because it records the earlier part of God unveiling himself to people. And you go to the Old Testament and you go to the prophet Isaiah. And in two places, he speaks about how God's spirit will be poured out. He says, says, there is devastation that's gonna come on Israel and this devastation will last till the spirit is poured upon us from on high. Isaiah 32 verse 15. Then you flip through a little bit more to Isaiah 44. And and he says, at that time, God says, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. Then you go, you keep flipping through the Old Testament, you come to the prophet Joel and he speaks for God. And so he says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. David, last week, made reference to the point that when the Spirit comes upon us, you don't only have a sense of a future in eternity, you start getting a sense of calling in your life. You start dreaming. You start having visions. You get a sense of what you're meant to do with your life. But this happens as the Spirit is poured out upon us. Then then you've got John the Baptist who comes along, and he says, there's one coming after me, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. But he, I baptize with water, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So in all of these promises, the Spirit is compared to water. The land drinks up and is made green by the deluge of rain. The desert is revitalized by a flowing river. People are plunged into his presence as if dunked in a pool. These are the metaphors. Jesus then comes along, And he picks up on these water promises and he develops it some more. He says, the spirit will be like water to drink. He says, whoever is thirsty, come to me and drink. And this transforms you into a fountainhead because then rivers of living water will flow from within you. In Christ, the Holy Spirit flows into us and then flows through us to others. What a joy to drink of our Savior, to be immersed in the waterfall of God's Spirit who refreshes, who revitalizes, and who makes green our lives. I wonder what parts of your life could do with a fresh dousing of heaven's rain. Goodness, I'm driving around the city, just like green everywhere. So much green. So delicious for the eyes. Green. Remember winter? Before autumn, sorry, before the rains. The rains actually started really early. So, like, remember, like a few years ago, when before we had rain, (laughs) things were dry. Garden was dry. Next to the road was dry. Just, it just wasn't thriving. I wonder what parts of your life could be made green (laughs) if it just got doused with the Holy Spirit. I want to land my message with this, uh, with this um, story of the Bethlehem Chapel in Prague. Now, I haven't been there, but I can put up this picture. I have venue envy when I look at this venue. It's centuries old. Imagine like we actually build our own venue one day. I want to, like, I want to use that as the template, proper whatever that is. But notice in the corner, you can see a well, huh? What's a well doing in there? So listen to this. There's a strange feature in one of the sanctuary's corners, a huge well. Legend has it that locals had once spoiled the water source by throwing their unwanted babies down the well. It's called infanticide, it's always been around. The horrific scene created two burdens. Firstly, you had the tragedy of lost life, but secondly, you had the loss of usable water. To not forget about the lost lives, the artwork on the chapel's walls featured the murdered innocent babies. When bad stuff goes down, you don't delete that, you, re- you remember that, do then pretend it didn't happen, it happened. Some bad stuff's happened in your life, yeah, you, you forget about it in the sense that it's not, it doesn't grip every day for the rest of your life, but there's no healing from pretending it didn't happen. And sometimes the points of grief in our lives, we we need rituals of memory, rituals of memory. Bad stuff happens in our lives sometimes. But to provide a visible and a viable new water source, the congregants dug the well just meters from the pulpit and a door was built into the side of the church as people could draw from the protected water source even during services. A cool uh, response to a community's needs. <laughs> you guys need water? We dug a well. And it's, it's in here. no one can mess around with this well. It's, protected, it's a protected water source. But it just got me thinking about, how, as the church, we're meant to be the fountain of the Spirit for others to drink from. And, uh, and my prayer for signal is that when we gather on a Sunday, it'd be like a watering hole Hell, watering hole. A watering hole, sorry. A watering hole like the Kruger. I mean, those watering holes are the most sensational things. You just got all of the animals just coming out. They're like, let's just stop fighting for a moment. Let's drink water. Let's refresh ourselves. Do you realize that God wants to transform you into a head of his goodness and nearness to others? Because it's not just like, come to our church and you can experience the Holy Spirit. You drink of the water and then you go out into your family. You go out into your school. You, you go out into your place of work. You go out into society. And you can be, be a fountainhead of this water to others. It's not like you in your psyched up version of yourself trying to spread positivity. This is a life that is greater than you that you're a conduit of. So you can feel weak in yourself, even while you are being used supernaturally by God. And that's my prayer for your life. Can we ask, can we just stand up? Can we have the band on the stage? We, we're going we're to pray for the fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Have you, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Have you been plunged? into the Holy Spirit like, like, like somebody would dunk you in water, like what's gonna happen in Camps Bay next week. Because if you haven't, we would love to pray for you. What did, what did Paul do? It says he laid his hands on them. And if some of you just long to be baptized and filled and plunged by the Holy Spirit, we'd love to pray for you and we ask you to come to the front now. But even for those of you that stay here, let's ask God just for a fresh deluge of the Holy Spirit when we were praying earlier on, um, the metaphor came up that this meeting is like a wave. We're here and there's a wave. You're a surfer, you paddle out, there's a wave. And um, there was a sense that the best part of this wave was gonna be at the end of this meeting. And the metaphor that we had was, I'm a surfer. So some waves start off big and then they get smaller and smaller. But there's a few special waves. You take off and it's small and it gets bigger as you go along. And there's a... Sense that we had that the biggest and the best part of today's wave is now. (laughs) So I'm very expectant of just the outpouring of the Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit is already here. I don't mean to insult the presence of God; we already have. But I sense there's something over and above, and and I'm also anxious that every one of us come into this experience of the Spirit, like the 12 people in Acts chapter 19. Okay. Some of you, your first step is not to be prayed for, for the Spirit. It's to put your faith in Jesus Christ. John the baptizer says, trust in the one who's coming after me. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Call on his name. There's no name given to people by which you can be saved except the name Jesus. So I want to urge you where you are just to trust in Jesus. Pray pray, just... You can, you can come up with your own prayer, but your point is you're saying, Jesus, I trust in you. I trust in who you are. You're the Lord. You're the Savior. I, I trust in what you've done. You died on the cross. You rose again from the dead. Take my life. Receive Jesus' life. <laughs> so you can just pray that prayer where you are. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we can't manufacture what you do. We can't manufacture your presence. We can just ask for it. We can thirst for it. Like Jesus said, come to me, all of you are thirsty. We thirst for your presence. for your nearness and your power. So let's, let's get this going. Come to the front to receive Pray for the Spirit. If that's you, don't be shy. If you're thirsty, come. We wanna pray for you.